Welcome in to the newest episode of Side Mission. I, like always, am your host, Rusty Ellis, joined by a full house of boys today. We got Kyle, we got Matt, and we got Thacker, and we are talking about what has been the most anticipated game, I would say, of the year, but I feel like, realistically, this has got to be, like, the most anticipated game since, like, probably 2018 when the God of War game that year came out. We are talking about God of War Ragnarok, the sequel to 2018's God of War, one game of the year then. And uh, to give you a spoiler alert, it'll probably win game of the year this year, deservedly so. So, let's go ahead and get the boys in here. It's going to be a long episode. Get your popcorn ready. Let's dive right in. So, Kyle, you were the one that got me big into God of War 2018. I had never played a game in the franchise before this game. I played it because of you. You're also the reason I platinum to that game, and you're the reason why, as of recording this, I'm four trophies away from this platinum. <laughs> so tell me, what do you think this game improves upon from the 2018 game? Because I think we all agree that 2018 God of War, 10 out of 10 game, masterpiece of a game, it won game of the year for 2018. But this game does a lot of things to improve it. What were some improvements that stuck out to you? Yeah, this game really did a lot. I mean, when it comes to the characters, to the worlds, to the combat, I mean, like, there is just so much. But I'll kind of break it down um, more so to what stuck out to me was the talismans, I think, are so much more useful in this game. I find myself using them quite honestly in just about every boss fight. Yeah. Um, the rage differences as well being able to choose between using you know like your rage for a quick burst of uh, attacks with whatever weapon you're holding or you can do the classic rage where you just have the full meter to just go to town on the enemy or now you can you know use your rage to actually regain health yes which is what i used a lot in some of these boss fights because i cannot stress enough how much that will save you due to the fact that it will actually stun the enemy while you heal so i i thought i felt like that was one of the best improvements that they made on the game um for me personally i think a great addition that has definitely helped out the combat and the core rpg mechanics of uh of this of god of war was the introduction of the Idrisol amulet yes which are that. these fragments these uh they're these fragments that you find scattered throughout the realms and when you collect them and you go to um when you go to the blacksmith um you uh increase the number of them that you can use but they they have so many different like perks and abilities which i'm I'm not going to get into all of them there's so many but what's cool is that each one of them uh, i'll just call them gems is represented by the realms themselves like they'll have the name like for example they'll have like muspelheim um like wisdom or something along the lines like that yeah or like asgard virtue or something like that yeah exactly and there's so so many of them that like each person playing this game will have a different experience because it's just based off your personal preference, um, which goes along so well with the uh, the variety of, of weapons, like from shields and um, like just upgrades to the axe and the uh, the blades of chaos. And honestly, Matt, like you're forgetting one that honestly just changed the entire improvement for this game bringing in the drop near spear yes that was something that we all know god of war for the blades of chaos and then 2018 for the leviathan axe getting the drop near spear was something totally impressive 
to actually have a new weapon mechanic that we now can cycle through and actually be able to use. It was something that was honestly an amazing improvement just to have that third weapon. I agree. It kind of varied the combat up a little bit, and I think that's the combat shines in this game much like it did in 2018. I think that that's that's one thing that stayed that, that definitely got better was the combat. I will say this: we all expected this to be a more expansive game in every way. We expected combat to be a little bit deeper, a little bit more involved. We expected weapons to kind of be a little bit more to have a little bit more variety. I will say I love the way the Blades of Chaos play in this game because they don't play that much like the 2018 game. They're more used for grabbing enemies, throwing enemies, slamming them down to the ground, and kind of juggling, whereas the axe kind of plays exactly the same. The thing that really sticks out to me, and we've all said this multiple times, I know Kyle, we've talked a lot about it, Thacker, I know we've talked about it, it is amazing when you start thinking about just how big this game is, just how massive the scope of this game is. You go to all nine realms in this game, in the story, you know, which you didn't do in 2018. In 2018, you didn't go to Spartalfheim, you didn't go to Vanaheim, and you didn't go to Asgard, obviously. You went to the six other realms, um, unless I'm including one that we didn't go to. I think those were the only three we didn't go to. Um, but it's not even just the fact that you go to all nine. It's the fact that Vanaheim, which is obviously where Freya is from, that's, you know, being a Vanir goddess... Vanaheim feels like the size of one open world game. It is a massive map. And you could say the same for Svartalfheim. Midgard's pretty sizable. Asgard, for the time that you get to be there, is pretty big. Like, it feels like every area has some good size to it, with the exception of probably Niflheim and Muspelheim. And that's really just because... That's really just because you go there for one or two things in the story, and then there's a lot of like side content in both places. I say a lot. In Niflheim, there's like one or two things. In Muspelheim, there's the Crucible, which we'll talk about that later. Um, but the way they were able to, to expand on this world and make every realm feel different, I think the one I was most impressed with outside of Vanaheim was probably Alfheim, because Alfheim, I'm on record as saying, not my favorite part of God of War 2018. It's kind of the part that I rush through because I don't love playing through that section. It's kind of boring, and there's not really a lot of variety to it. But they really added on to Alfheim and made it feel like an entirely different area compared to the first game. So Sony Santa Monica did a fantastic job, I think, in the world-building aspect of really expanding on what we knew about this universe already. So, with that being said, this is a spoiler warning for the rest of the episode. Even though Thacker just spoiled a massive part of it with Drop Near. <laughs> Even though he just spoiled that. Uh, this is a spoiler warning for the rest of the episode. We are about to go in depth with the story of God of War Ragnarok. And I think we can all four agree. And Kyle, Matt, y'all can go ahead and unmute. I have no problem with y'all. With Nobody has to be muted for this. It's all good. Uh, I think we can all agree the story of God of War Ragnarok is best experienced when you have no idea what's going to happen when you have no idea the twists and the turns the story takes and what certain characters do that is the best way to experience the game so if you want to play the game spoiler free do not listen to the rest of this episode because we're going to spoil the ever-loving shit out of this game and that's the nice way of me saying it 
So and forget for that, that Decker said drop near. And forget that he said drop near that too. Um, oh my god! <laughs> and the fact that Matt said I vape in the chat. Anyways, um, <laughs> any, anyways, let's go ahead and get into the story to get caught up. If you haven't listened to mine and Thacker's discussion episode, real brief recap of the 2018 game. You know, you end up killing the, one of the sons of Odin. You kill Balder. You kill him. You know, you kill him as Kratos, and essentially, you begin the path to Ragnarok. You set Fimblewinter off, and you start the path to Ragnarok, the downfall of the Aesir, and the downfall of Odin. You you begin that. So, this game picks up right in the middle of Fimblewinter. You know, Atreus is a couple years older. Kratos is still the same deep-voiced, loving father that he was in the first game. Boy. My favorite line from the first game. Love it. Um, but... You start off right there in the beginning, and at this point, Freya is still very much an enemy of you. You start off with a with a very interesting combat. I don't want to say combat. Very interesting cinematic section. And Kyle, I want to hear from you on this because I feel like that's something that the first game did so well was those cinematic moments where it kind of melded gameplay into cutscene and it all works without there being a loading screen. I feel like this opening sequence really does start us off on the right foot. Oh, yeah, dude. Introducing you know, the entire part with the wolves and the sled, because I knew I was like, this is how we're going to end up traversing everything because it's frozen. Obviously, we saw from the trailers and, you know, we knew that. From, Despite the yeah, fact the that Matt game. was Matt was surprised by the Lake of Nine being frozen <laughs> every time he went to it. Despite that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was excited, though, when I saw, you know, us going through that and then out of nowhere just transitions to a cutscene while we're in the middle of, you know, essentially sledding down, you know, this hill with these dogs and or with these wolves. And when Freya comes in, it's just, you know, immediately shit's about to get real. And we get that classic, you know, God of War 2018 transition from gameplay to cinematic that yes. honestly is, in my opinion, one of the greatest art directions I've ever seen taken in a game. To do an entire one take where the camera does not break, it's insane. It's in, in no jump cuts. in my opinion. No jump cuts, yeah. and I love that. It really keeps you immersed in what's happening. I loved the way this game you know started out aside from the fact that we had to endure the death of Fenrir so that's what I was going to ask y'all next actually that was, was sad like obviously we know what happens later in the story and we know that Fenrir isn't gone gone I don't think any of us felt that way in the moment Thacker uh, what did you feel about that because we discussed Fenrir he was one character we were expecting to see when we talked about what what our expectations were for Ragnarok what did you feel about that how did you feel about that decision early on Honestly, uh, I was I was really blown away from it. It was one that I really didn't know how to feel about it, especially because it, like, for one, like, you got to love Fenrir. Yes. Like, you absolutely got to love him. And then from the beginning of the game, just instantly having him pulled away was kind of heart-wrenching. That's one it thing really, I said. I said this about this story. It really punches you in the gut right from the jump. It does. And especially for anyone who's a pet lover. Yes. Or a dog lover or anything kind of animal lover. That really hurts. 
that really hurts to see, especially like a young adult, young child, whatever you want to say, seeing their best friend as an animal being taken away from them like that, that that's heart wrenching. Santa Monica did really well at really hitting feels on this. I think that they did a great job throughout the entire game with emotion. And that's where, when it comes to the writing, I don't know, but there's many that I think are better right now at it than Sony Santa Monica. You know, I mean, I think maybe Naughty Dog when it comes to the Last of Us games, the Uncharted games, maybe them, maybe Insomniac, because they've done a really, really good job with writing in their last couple of games. But I feel like that's one of the biggest strengths of this game is the way the writing is able to, they're able to depict emotion instead of telling you what they're feeling, they're showing you what they're feeling. And that's, that's a huge thing in writing to where you don't have to say, oh, well, you, you don't want the character to say I'm angry or I'm sad. You want them to show that. And I feel like this game does an incredible job with that. In Amazing that, job. In that same note, I feel like this is the beginning of, we really see the evolution of Kratos and Atreus' relationship. We, we see that, yes. like, it's not the same as it was in 2018. There's still obviously, you know, Atreus cares about Kratos, Kratos cares about Atreus, but obviously we all know what we saw or what we thought we saw at the end of God of War. We we saw the mural in Jotunheim that we we figured was depicting Kratos' death and him dying in Atreus' arms. Now, we'll get to more of that in a bit, but we see now that there's so much of a difference obviously atreus has his goals he has the things he wants to he he has things that he's trying to accomplish and matt i want to hear from you about this because one of those things he's trying to do and you see a lot of this in a lot of the promotional material he wants to find tear the god of war from this realm he wants to find tear because he believes that tear is the key to you know leading ragnarok and to you know maybe stopping odin and I feel like that's the first major story beat we go on. But I want to say there were not many scenes in this game, outside of one other that I can think of that I'm going to talk about later, uh, that gave me the kind of chills as it did when Thor and Odin show up on your doorstep. And in the first, like, 20 minutes of the game, Matt, you're face-to-face with the God of Thunder and the All-Father himself. Uh, please tell me I was not alone in that, Matt. Um, so when that scene happened, I actually do like the callback to the original, like, real ending to God of War 2018 with Thor, um, yes. right there at your doorstep. And, and it's the same the scene. Same. And it's the same it, scene. It, it, I love that. Scene. it is the same scene. But then, you know, Thor's really chill. He's just like, can we have a chat, you know, to, just to go to talk about these things. And that was a really, like, that that whole entire scene, I was like, where's this going to go? Because, like, I was expecting there to be, you know, a, a, a fight scene, like, right away. But there's a lot of, like, dialogue here. And then, um, you know, um, what is it? Uh, Odin shows up, and then you're just like, okay, shit's going to go down. Like, what's going on? Thor and Odin are here, and Kratos is home. But it just turns into this conversation. But, you know... Odin is trying to persuade Kratos, you know, and technically he's trying to mostly persuade Atreus from dropping, looking for Tyr, because Odin Odin knows what, you know, that would bring when it comes to the whole, myth, like, like uh, lore of Ragnarok. So obviously Kratos does not want Atreus having anything to do with a deal with Odin. And then yes. that is... That is when it turns into... Like, and I just love this little scene where Odin gets up, walks away... 
and just whispers to Thor, what is it he says? Don't take exactly. all day. Don't take all, Don't day. Take all day. When he said that, my eyes got wide. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, boy, here we go. Oh, yeah. in, in my head, oh, yeah. I heard, and action. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And in that moment, you see Mjolnir, and then Kratos just gets blasted out of his home, and we get one of the most epic boss fights that I think we will see um, for a long all generation. Time. Yes. All generation. So, so Kyle, much fun. Kyle, I want you, and I said this in the chat that we're using. I, I want, I want you to brag on Ryan Hurst because when we found out that he was cast to play Thor, we were both immediately excited, knowing the possibilities. We know the vocal talent of Ryan Hurst, the acting talent of Ryan Hurst from obviously, you know, Sons of Anarchy is what he's really known for. I feel like he nails this performance. One hundred percent, Ryan Hurst was so good as Thor. I mean, he was so menacing, but at the same time, like, there are more scenes that you see later on that show more of a human side of Thor, and they really start to, yes, you know, show him in a different light. And, boy, the voice acting it took to pull off different, you know, sides of this character. It's very easy to do a one-dimensional character, but, I mean, to show... You know, all these different parts. They showed Thor, you know, angry. They showed Thor being a family man, trying to take care of his family. They showed Thor getting drunk and dealing with, you know, depression and, you know, feeling like, you know, he's just the outcast and, like, he's been let down. I loved Thor as a character. And honestly, at the end of this game, it left me wanting more. Thacker, I agree a hundred percent with you, and I will let you talk about Richard Schiff next because he nails Odin in this in this role as well. It was incredible. It took me a good like two or three times listening to his voice before I finally nailed it. Same dude. I, I was I was like, holy shit, when I figured out who it was. I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. And the fact that not only did they get his voice right, if you look Odin actually looks like him. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. I could certainly see it. I think that he absolutely kills. I think one thing, can we all agree on this? I don't think there's a weak performance in this game vocally. I feel like the entire cast does an excellent job. Christopher Judge has has become one of my favorite voice actors just for Kratos alone. I would love to see him do other roles as well. Uh, Sonny Sonny Soljic really is even better as a trans, but I want to brag on here. And I feel like in some of the promotional material, again, they talk about this. They had to, when, when recording and shooting this game and producing this game, we got to remember Sonny was not as old as he was, as he is now when God of War 2018 was being made. So he's, you know, going through, you know, he's going through puberty. He's getting older. His voice is getting a little deeper. I think they handled that all very well because it doesn't feel, it feels very accurate to Atreus from 2018 to now. It feels like that growth has happened. So he is absolutely awesome. I think that my favorite performance in this game is probably Danielle Basuti as Freya, though. I feel like, I feel like she ate this role up. And I am very, very happy with the direction they went in with her character. So we'll kind of get rolling rolling down. And again, Robert Craighead and, and Adam J. Harrington as Brock and uh, Sindri. They're both fantastic as well. Alistair Duncan's great as Mimir once again. There's so many other performances in this game that we just can't get to right now. But um, uh, Brett Dalton as, uh, as Freyr, as Freya's brother. He's, for anyone who doesn't know that name, that's Michael from Until Dawn. 
<laughs> that's oh, one of the, yeah. that's Michael from Until Dawn, and I was that's again just the range there from you know playing a role like that to playing you know Freya's brother Freyer. The range on Brett Dalton really impressed me in this game. I really liked his role in this game as well. I thought Heimdall was well voiced. Uh, Lady Sif is well voiced. I thought that across the board, the performances were fantastic. So, getting back into the story, you fight Thor and you kind of. Uh, Tear as well. Tear is really, really well done as well. Uh, but you kind of you, you kind of get this feeling as Kratos that okay now our home's not safe what do we do you go and you go and you live with Sindri which did anybody else kind of chuckle when uh, they realized that oh you're just going and bunking with a dwarf that was kind of funny right I, I, yeah, I, 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 I and you see his house it's, his house it's is not, massive his house is it's massive dwarf size. Like, Dude, it's massive. Sindri's bringing in the money, man. And I love how it's in the realm between realms. I think that's an awesome hub area for this game. Really, really liked that as well. Uh, so you go and you find Tyr. You find him in a mine in Svartalfheim. And, you know, it's it's kind of not what Atreus expected. And, and Kyle, this is an interesting point in the story because you could kind of see, you know, Atreus is trying to do whatever he can to get to a certain point, get his fate to a certain point. And he's expecting Tyr when he finds him to be this guy who's ready to lead an army into war at Ragnarok, and Tyr doesn't want to fight. And it's a very, very yeah. interesting dynamic how that changes things. It was pretty crazy when they uh, when they rescued Tyr and brought him back because there was this moment, and I, we saw it, you know, kind of in the trailer where you know they first meet Tyr. But when Tyr stood up and just towered over Kratos, I was yes. like, holy shit, that's that a, a big moment. dude. That was pretty epic because you were like, yo, this is a big guy. We are really getting some beef on our side. And then he turns out to be this pacifist. And I thought it was weird because I was like, you know, I thought you were about to help, help us kill Odin. But then, like, he had, you know all of these good reasons as to why he didn't want to fight and why he's become pacifist. And I, I kind of accepted it over time. And uh, it wasn't until uh, a very specific part in the game that... It all makes sense. I realized something was off. <laughs> why yeah. doesn't he fight? Why does he sleep in the broom closet? <laughs> why is this the god of war? But it's almost but yeah, like he's he tired addresses, of fighting. Yeah, when when he addresses war, he wants nothing to do with it. You know, I want to say, though, and we'll get to the twist that happens when we get to it. I feel like they hit it very well until the very last moment when they kind of give it away. And I feel like that was intended, obviously, with a little bit of line of dialogue and what he calls a certain character. I feel like they did a very good job of hiding it. Um, because obviously in hindsight, we see like all the different ways we feel like they could have, you know, hinted at it or kind of given us clues as to who he is and why he is the way he is. But instead, I feel like they hit it very, very well on a first time playthrough. I feel like obviously the beginning of the game will hit a lot differently if you play through it again. Um, but a very interesting thing happens in the story. And Matt, this was like, for me, the first like outside of Fenrir, that was a big emotional moment. This was the first moment where I was like, okay, like stuff might be about to go down. And that's when Atreus runs away after a certain point. And we're, we're jumping ahead in the story here a little bit because there's a lot of like filler that you miss in between there. You meet Freyr, you go to Vanaheim, all this. And 
obviously, and you get Freya back on your side, which Thacker, that is what I was telling you. We called the shit out of that in our discussion episode. We said... Oh, we so did. We, we so said did. that we thought that Freya would be brought back to your side in one way or another. We thought that would happen, and I love that they did it. It was an excellent character arc for, for Freya. Um, but Matt Atreus runs away and goes to Asgard to learn from Odin. And I feel like this is the first moment in the game where you're like, you know, the shit might be about to go down here. Yeah, and honestly, I really like that they took that direction because this whole entire game is basically, you know, wanting to defy fate, go against what the, I guess, the prophecy said. And I like the fact that with Loki intentionally going to Odin, going to Asgard, that it is starting to feel like that it's, it's, it's becoming exactly that. And, you know, when he gets there, I like what they I like how they started off with him just being dropped off, but outside of the wall. Yeah. And then you get like this nice little section of having to climb this thing. And like, I was kind of like, um, I have a fear of height. So I'm like, don't look down. Don't look down. Because <laughs> I'm like really, really high up. And so, you know, when you get there, you meet Heimdall who is this god, this cocky little bastard, like, with so much attitude. I'm like, this is, this is, this is completely different than um, Idris Elba from Thor. <laughs> you know, can I just say, one of my favorite lines in the game was when he, like, you get to the top, and he grabs you, and he goes, so yes. tell me, what part of the gigantic wall made you think, hmm, let me climb that? Yes, exactly. Like they were was like, what made you? What made you think you were wanted here when you were and you saw the gigantic wall blocking you off from Asgard? What made you think you were wanted here? And it was just the perfect level of sarcasm to exactly. be expected. That was probably the first character where I was like, holy shit, that's a massive figure in Norse mythology that we have not seen yet. Like, yeah. holy oh, shit, yeah. that's fucking Heimdall. Like that was that whole section was crazy, Matt. I kind of knew it straight from the moment that you look at his eyes that it's Heimdall because that's that's his whole shtick. Um, well, and it, it but, reveals him. I, I love how it kind of reveals him because you figure out who he is because when he turns around, you see Gallerhorn on his back. You see the exactly, horn on his yeah. back. And when yeah. I saw that, I was like, oh my God, it's him. Like, it's, it's Heimdall. Yep. And again, Thacker, we called it. We called it. I will not listen to anybody. Nobody will slander myself or Thacker outside of me from now on because we fucking called half this shit. Matt, continue. I loved it. I also enjoyed the fact that you kind of um, got to see Asgard, like the, the outside of it. Just, it, it just it wasn't exactly as I pictured it, to be honest with you. It was it more was modest, very, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It wasn't like big giant castle that you know I saw in um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. When you go to um, uh, when you go to Asgard, there it's not so like you I, see it in like Thor and like Marvel. Exactly. It's not like that either. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I thought that was a really nice take on Asgard because it was more grounded, just like the the lore that we're getting in this game. Like obviously, there's a lot of like really crazy things, but you just see you, you see Asgard for the first time, and it's not what I was expecting. And I thought it was really cool as that as, as you're going along that you see Valkyrie's training, you see. Um, you see just like the, 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 the regular citizens and then out of nowhere you get to um what is, you know, the where Odin's I wanna say Odin's area, Kiss Keep is or whatever. Yeah. And you get you get thrown into a, a, a boss fight with, with Heindel and you can't hit this guy. Thank you, thank you, his lodge. And you cannot hit this guy. And I was like, how long is this fight going to last? Because, you know, yeah, I, I, I kind of like five minutes of just, of just swinging and swinging and, and then, you know, cussing <laughs> happening. 
really really well done cutscene with Odin popping up and everything just shifting off from there. Um, and then we finally find out exactly what it is Odin wants from Atreus. And he reassures him he doesn't want war. He does not want, you know, anything bad to happen to Atreus and his friends. And to give, you know, Atreus the trust because that's the recurring theme in this game is trust. Yes. You know, Atreus, Atreus needing to trust um, Odin, Odin needing Atreus' trust. And it's, it's kind of like, and what I like about this is the parallels of these two characters' trust because Kratos and Atreus also have that, that whole entire theme of trust. So yes. they did a fantastic job with the parallels of Odin, Atreus, Kratos, and Atreus. Yeah, I agree. And I like the introduction that we we get to meet um, Thor's daughter, through uh, through, yeah. which is great. Um, we get to uh, we get to meet um, Lady, Lady Sif, Sif. Yep. which was also which was also great. Like they really did such a good job, and it, it was really well done. Um, and I like the fact that we're branching off from gameplay of Kratos. Which I kind of did think that we were going to get to play as Atreus um, without Kratos, which was which was awesome. So, really, really well done. Yeah, it was cool how we got to play as Atreus. Um, and they did, and he didn't play that... like Kratos. That's the thing I loved is he, yeah. he feels different, and that's so important in gameplay that he feels different. He, he felt like yeah. his own character. Yes, he really did feel like his own character, especially in the part where you first go to Asgard as Atreus and you start meeting all these town folk and they tell you that, you know, oh, well, Odin lives uh, behind that big wall and Atreus just says, fuck it, I'm going to climb this. And he, for real, just starts climbing this entire, you know, I can't even tell you how many thousands of miles high wall <laughs> and you encounter the worst enemy in the game, the fucking whites. <laughs> they are the worst enemy in the game. You're not wrong. Why I hated them. Are they so damn strong? That first one that you fought as Atreus, dude. I was like, am I fighting a fucking boss? This dude was so tough, and maybe my Atreus was just extremely weak. But I felt like he was just immune to anything I threw at him, and I was just having to whittle away his health. And then when he dies, he spawns in a three little fucking. Whatever the the little balls, I can't remember what they are. Little wisps. They spawn on the little fucking wisps, and I'm like, can you not just be dead? That's all I had to say about that. You're not wrong. I absolutely hated the whites, and that sounds so horrible to say without context. Somebody's whites. Somebody's gonna clip this, and that's not good. But um, you heard it here first. Fuck well, the whites. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're getting canceled tonight, boys. All right, so you don't get canceled. We're, we're going after the whites. <laughs> That's true. So back on the farm. Um, <laughs> so I have to ask: when we found out that Odin was trying to put a mask together, did anybody else first think of Jim Carrey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, I really did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glowed, green glowed green. So I was like, I'm Jim Carrey. It's literally the mask. It's literally smoking. the mask. Smoking. It's literally, it's literally smoking. It's literally that. Like, but I loved, um, I loved that you got to go on missions with Thor, like as Atreus. I really liked the dynamic between the two. And you could really see, it's a very, very simple relationship, but you can see it growing over time. And I really, again, think they did a good job with the writing and all that. I think that's why it works. You obviously meet uh, Throod, Thor's daughter, and uh, Matt couldn't pronounce her name before we got on here, so I'm really proud of him for being able to pronounce it. Uh, 
And again, it all of the dialogue is really, and the writing is really what sells every bit of the story because it all feels very true to character. It feels like if this conversation actually happened, this is how it would happen. So Atreus ends up leaving Asgard after, you know, helping with the mask for a little bit. He ends up leaving and going back. And at this point, like, we are deep on the road to Ragnarok. We are deep on the road. So now, after a few events transpire, we get to the ultimate plot twist in the game. And that's that after you get Freyr out of Vanaheim, you 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 essentially you save Vanaheim in the moment. Um, you get Freyr out. He comes back with you to Sindri's house. You know you're there with him, Brock, Sindri, obviously, uh, Freya, Atreus, and Tyr. And Tyr starts to go into this whole monologue about how you know I know I've been a burden on you all, and about how Mimir as well. Shut up, Thacker. Everyone knows Mimir's there. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, you know, he's going into this monologue about how he's been a burden to everybody and about how, you know, he's ready to lead them into, into Ragnarok and he's ready to lead them to Asgard and that he's got this new secret way. And the moment he says that, you know, Brock kind of asks the question that everybody's thinking is like, so you've known this the whole time and you just now are bringing it up. And it's funny because, you know, Kyle, we've talked a lot about God of War 2018 where there are several moments where Brock will say something and Mimir will just kind of be like, I don't know what the fuck he just said. That's kind of weird. Like, yeah. But even Mimir, when Brock says that, he goes, that's actually a really good question. Like, when did this happen? And you kind of feel like something's off. And then Tyr says something along the lines of, you know, after Kratos questions him about, you know, withholding this information... You know, Tyr tells him, well, you would have gotten us killed. We weren't ready. And plus, we needed Loki to figure out his destiny. And that was the very moment I knew that Tyr was Odin the entire time. That was the very fucking moment that I knew Tyr was Odin. Because the only people that had called Loki, called Atreus Loki, who obviously it's revealed that that's the name that the Giants gave him at the end of the 2018 game. The only people that called him that were the Aesir. The only people that called him that were the people in Asgard. So when he says that, it's kind of that trigger of, wait a minute, did he just call him that when he hasn't called him that all game? It's one of those where it's like, did Tyr have a slow moment? Is Tyr kind of stupid? I can't really tell what just happened. And then Thacker, the ultimate gut punch happens because Tyr reveals who he is and he kills Brock in the process. It hurts so much. I know it it hurt more for Brock, but... It hurt. That shit hurt. It actually it hurt. hurt. It, 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 it just it goes back. Can I say one more thing, Thacker? Too. One of the one of the the worst part about all of it is that right before this scene happens, Brock has his best line in the entire game when they're talking about going to Asgard and Sindri and Sindri goes, and how exactly do you expect to get to Asgard? And Brock fires back, I expect you to buy my big blue butt cheek. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best line, line. like like forget the death can have me when it earns me forget that line that is the pinnacle of writing right there go ahead Thacker but not like it Santa Monica did amazing with this again with just hitting every emotion because you also find out earlier in the game when you first start playing as Atreus that Brock is missing part of his soul yes so like it 
tells you later on in the game, but it makes you wonder in that moment of, can't we just go back and get his souls back? Like, it explains it later on, but still, that entire moment there was just so heart-wrenching. You knew something was about to happen. You knew shit was about to hit the fan. But you didn't know what was going to happen until it did. And it's like, really? Yeah, this was wild. This? Oh, it hurt. It hurt. So I have to ask, before we... Oh, go ahead, Kyle. My bad. I was going to say, when... When they told us about, you know, Brock missing his soul pieces, I knew I was like, you know, there's a very significant reason to telling us that. And my thought process was we were going to get some sort of side mission where you get to go to Helheim and get Brock's last soul piece back. And it turned out to be so much darker than that, because in reality, because he doesn't have all of his soul pieces, you can't get it back. And that, I think, was what hurt the most. Because when Sindri said, oh, you know, I went to Helheim, I got him back. The moment he died, I was like, yo, we got to get him back. And then they said that, and I was like, what do you mean we can't? That was so gut-wrenching to know that he's actually gone. Like, there's no, you know, it's not like the Fenrir death at the beginning of the game. It's, he's done. It, that really made me sad. It hurt. I just want to add with this whole talking about Brock, like there was a scene when they were supposed to meet the lady and this is where yes. kind of Brock realizes as to why, because I th believe it's Mimir who says that she responds to the spirit or something along the lines like that. And because he doesn't he, have that, that's why she, that's and that's why she didn't interact with him because he was excited to interact with her and she didn't even, yes. it's like she didn't even know he was there. But uh, yeah, they added that really touching moment where Kratos asked Brock to bless the spear. And this is obviously where we're going back with the spear being like why this whole entire segment of the game is happening. And I just like that little touching moment between Kratos and Brock where, you know, he, he, he makes him feel good. You know, he makes him feel like, you know, he just learned about this kind of he, he doesn't quite know it yet, but he's caught on to what's happened. So getting that whole little moment there was a really nice touch. Yeah, I the think that the character development was perfect. I think that that's something this game we've said it so many times, and I can't rave enough about it. Is that the emotion of like every time this game needs to hit an emotional high, it hits it. Every time it does not miss, and it doesn't matter the characters either. I mean, Sindri and Brock were both more comedic relief characters in the first game. They weren't there as like serious serious characters that were a big part of this you know this big big massive story they were very very small parts of the 2018 game and in this game they both take a major step forward and they're able to land on these moments and i feel like what happens with brock and how that changes Sindri for the entire rest of the game the the follow-up scene to brock's death when you go and you you go to the shop at tears temple to find Sindri, and he just tells me, if you want to help me, get the fuck out of my sight. And it, it is just chilling to see a character that we have seen for hours now, for, you know, a 20-plus hour game in the first game, and now another deep into another, like, 30, 40-hour game here. It's chilling to see a character that has been a, a source of comedy go to yeah. that dark of a place. And... I will say there's a moment at the end that is a very, very cool moment for Cinder. We're not going to get there just yet. But, you know, 
continuing on with the story, you now realize that with Tyr at this point is no longer on your side and he never was in the first place. You no longer have the drop on Odin. And now your best bet is to start Ragnarok. Your best bet is to try to start Ragnarok. But, Thacker, to do so, there's one important figure that has to be crossed off the board first, and that is Heimdall. Oh, yeah. And we called that we would fight him, and fighting him is every bit as terrifying as you said it would be in that episode. It was it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Uh, I probably would have been on that fight for a good like thirty minutes if it wasn't for you giving me a hint of how to like initiate damage to him. And it was I'm the entire time I was sitting there like what's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen next? And it was only like a two phase fight, but still absolutely horrendous amount or not horrendous but absolutely immense amount of fear going through me for the first phase knowing that there was probably going to be a second oh for sure like when he came roading in on that i was like there's no way this is the only part of the fight and i think people that you know don't understand norse mythology or don't understand the backstory of this the reason why heimdall is such a key figure is obviously because odin entrusted him with gallarhorn and for those that don't know the sounding of that horn is what begins Ragnarok. That is why Heimdall was needed to be crossed off the board or needed to be taken out before, and Freya makes this clear, is because if Odin has Heimdall on his side, there's next to nothing that, that you know, the quote-unquote good guys can do to win. There is next to nothing, because he can see everything that's going to happen before it happens. So... I also liked the callback to the original series here because I liked that as you're choking out Heimdall, you know, he's talking about you being the god killer and you know how you'll never change and stuff like that. And you kind of get this look of horror on Kratos' face after Heimdall is killed and he's like, I really just did that. And after everyone said that maybe for the sake of the prophecy, I probably shouldn't have done that. So... I thought that was really interesting. Kyle, what did you have to add? Yeah, that part I was pretty surprised by because it really showed a level of emotional depth to Kratos. Um, Obviously, a big talking point of the 2018 game was how much more mature Kratos feels. Yes. Yeah. Compared to the original trilogy. And I think this game took that and expanded on it tenfold because even in the 2018 game, Kratos has some emotional moments, but for the most part, he's still very much holding in that anger as well as that fear of losing Atreus, and it causes him to, you know, do everything that he's doing. All the decisions he's making are to protect Atreus, and in this game, it really, really showed, you know, the maturity of his character being able to separate, you know... I wouldn't say a rational fear of Atreus dying, but I would say being able to trust Atreus to go off on his own, to do things on his own. Yeah. It was such a big step for Kratos, and I think that that definitely should be highlighted because it takes a lot to really build, you know, a story arc like that for a character that originally was pretty one-dimensional and now i mean 
we are literally we saw him you know take on this role of the father and really you know go through all the beats all the emotions and by the end of this game i felt like kratos went on this crazy emotional journey that you know is going to reflect on future games should they choose to do more and honestly kyle i feel like part of that stems from where Mimir, Freya, and Kratos go and talk to the Norms. Yes. Uh, being the fates of this world. It was something yes. that they prophesized all of this. They pretty much told Kratos, hey, in order for you to protect your son, you're going to have to do this stuff. And it's going to end up in Ragnarok and somebody dying. Like, the Norms literally took that prophecy that we saw at the end of 2018 and ran with it and added more to it, even more so that from Angry Boda, from what she was saying in the beginning as well, they really kind of added more to Kratos's, Kratos's own development, more so than any other part, just from the short amount of time they were in the game. I'm so glad you brought that up because it just reminded me, do you remember when you know, they were talking about the prophecy, how they were saying, Kratos, you are going to kill Heimdall, you are going to start Ragnarok. Everything that they said came true, except for the part where they said you were going to die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, maybe, maybe with the, you know, additional content, maybe there's side stuff, but I felt like we should have had some other implications of Kratos not dying because it was prophesied. And as this game showed, just about everything that was prophesied happened, but what are the consequences of going against the prophecy? So I have a theory as to why he didn't die. I have a theory. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and then we'll jump back. So do you remember in the middle of Ragnarok, they're in Asgard and, you know, it's after Sindri comes back. And you remember... You know, Odin's got the the citizens, the you know the the mortals, the mortal human citizens of Asgard, you know, manning these cannons, and you know they you know they end up dying, and he's sacrificing innocent lives, you know, for people that are not fit for combat. And Atreus has this moment because you know all that's talked about is you know we need vengeance, we need justice, all this, and that, and the other, and the theme of you know. One of the things that Kratos says to Atreus early on in 2018 is, close your heart to the sufferings of those that we will meet along the way. He mentions that, and Atreus is still working on that in this game. You hear him say several times where he's telling himself, close your heart to it, close your heart to it. I think the moment Kratos changed fate was when instead of allowing Ragnarok to happen the way it was going to happen, instead of allowing, you know, Surtur to wreak havoc the way he was going to wreak havoc, he tells them, he, he calls everybody, you know, he signals everybody, and he says, hey, we can't do this for vengeance anymore. We are not going to, we're not going to risk innocent lives. We're not going to, we're not going to kill innocents. We are only going to kill those trying to kill us. And I think that is the exact moment, because you see how everybody reacts to it. Like they, like he tells Freya and Freya to go uh, negotiate with, uh, you know, Surtur. Or I guess at that point, I guess he's known as Ragnarok. But I yeah. think I think that's the moment where the prophecy changed, because you kind of see also... everybody has that reaction of why why would Kratos do this? Because it's the last thing anybody expected. He's talked about vengeance the entire time, and now all yeah. of a sudden he's concerned with the lives of the innocent. 
yes that part where he told where he told atreus open your heart to it feel their suffering that's what makes you you that was another big story beat that i was like holy shit this is showing how you know mature kratos has become just from the 2018 game to this how much deeper his character is i loved that scene that is that's probably the scene that stuck out to me the most was when yes. kratos turned and said no open your heart to them that i was like chills dude and with that it not only changed how the his the fates were and everything but it also really made an impact on how the game's ending came to be yes like there was a lot more to it just from that one line because i feel like if it wasn't said we would have gotten a totally different ending I agree. I think that that does. I think that legitimately, and I thought I was thinking about this earlier. I think that that's what changed the prophecy was Kratos finally coming down and realizing that Atreus is not the same as him, and that he shouldn't be treating him like he is the exact same. He doesn't need to make him another version of him. He needs to let him be his own person, his own god, all of that. So I think that that's where that changed. Now I want to go backwards a little bit, Matt, because. I alluded to there being only one other cutscene that gave me chills in this game as serious as the ones that we were talking about earlier. And that is the scene right before the start of Ragnarok where Kratos gives his speech, Freya kind of gives her talk, you know, they they you know they get the troops rallied, they've got the Valkyries on their side, they've got the the elves of Alfheim united and they're on the on their side, the army of the dead is on their side from Helheim. The moment Kratos blows Gallarhorn and the realms start opening up, yes, gave me serious in-game portals vibes from the MCU. Agreed. That is the and I don't know that I've seen a cutscene in a game this year that gave me that the kind of feeling I felt when that happened. Yep, um, I think one of the scenes and I mentioned this um one of the scenes that gave me chills since we're on that subject now is when after kratos and atreus rescued the moon which had been stolen yes um and they find uh, basically the uh, the wolf deities uh that control day and night yeah, stole, uh, stolen stolen yeah exactly um and we see this in that one trailer that we got back at the playstation showcase um and everybody was so like calling those wolves like one of them fenrir at the time which was like um I don't did think that, that yeah <laughs> uh-huh so when you release the moon and then atreus shoots the arrow up there and then uh i believe hati like stands up and then just runs off into the sky and then it just changes from um it changes from uh day to night that was so cool with the with the addition of like the uh, the sound effect of, of the wolf howling, just I got chills from from that scene, and I still get chills every time that you do it, since that's such a big thing that you do in um, in Vanaheim is you change the uh, the day and night cycle. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that there are just so many moments in this story that I will stick with me for a very long time when I think about like cinematics and video games. This game takes them all to another level. So, to kind of put a wrap on things, we'll talk now about the ending, and then we're, we're already deep into this episode, we haven't even gotten to side content yet. So, again, we told you, long episode, we appreciate everybody for sticking with us. But, talking about the ending, so, you battle Thor again, and, again, Kratos does something that's not in his character, and that when he has Thor beaten, instead of killing him, he tells him, no, we must be better. 
The same yeah. words he said right before he killed Balder in 2018. The same words saying that we must be better. And you have this moment of redemption for Thor that for me made the entire character. It made made Ryan Hurst's performance even better because you see that despite he's a god, there's a lot of humanity within Thor, within Lady Sif, within through their daughter. There's a lot of humanity within yeah. them that isn't just evil Aesir. And that's one thing I wanted to brag about on the writing before we talk about the ending in depth. I liked how even though the Aesir were pretty much were obviously the villains of this game, Odin, outside of a couple moments, is never portrayed as this evil, evil bastard. He is portrayed as a very fair, a very calm, and a very reasonable person. Calm and reasonable. LOL. That's funny that I use that terminology. But uh, he, he's portrayed that way. He's not portrayed as some madman. He's portrayed as someone. He tells Atreus when he comes to Asgard, you know, you're free to go whenever. You are not a prisoner here. You're always welcome. You do not have to live in fear here. You are you're not living. He tells Kratos in the beginning of the game that, you know, he killed Magni and Modi in the first game. He killed Balder. Kratos asked him what he want. He said, I just want peace. He doesn't want blood. He said, seek no quarrel with me, and I will have none with you. I love how the Aesir were portrayed that, you know, despite the fact that these are villainous people or villainous gods, there was there's another side to them that we hadn't seen just yet. So you end up fighting Odin, you kill him, and Kyle, funny enough, the panel that you saw in Jotunheim that seemingly depicted Kratos dying in Atreus' arms... Instead, it turns out to be Odin. That shit was wild. Like, I... I knew, I was like, there is some very significant reason that at the end of 2018's game, they decided to show us this exact moment. And I was waiting for it the whole game. I was like, you know what? They're gonna kill off Kratos. This is it. He's gonna die. And then at the very end, in a turn of the fucking tables, it was Odin who had his soul taken. And put into and one of the marbles, yeah. The, yeah, it was not the ashes like we originally thought being taken on by a tra Odin's soul being put in the marble. And that was such a compelling moment for Atreus, for Kratos, for Freya, for them all to have gone this entire game, this entire time, their one goal was to kill Odin, and the motherfucker who did it was Sindri. Hey, shout out my boy Sindri, man. Listen. Shout out Sindri. I hate that he's got, I hate that he had this little heel turn, but man, shout out Sindri for getting that moment and kind of getting that redemption. Matt, that's what you called it when we talked about it earlier, getting that redemption for Brock's death. <laughs> yeah. I loved that that he was the one that ultimately got to strike the killing blow. Thacker, you had something to add? I did. Um, what The one thing that I found really interesting in that entire ending scene is Kratos had mentioned early in the game that it was wrong of him to uh, take the choice of life or death from Freya. And in that ending scene of actually being able to give her that choice again was breathtaking and truly amazing to actually see i love the fact that Sindri got the final blow on it <laughs> i just i think my only complaint on it was Sindri. like you kind of don't get a chance to have Sindri's forgiveness i think that we'll and... see that in dlc i have to be honest they've said that they're going to drop content for this game i think we'll see that in dlc 
I hope so because I like I said I feel like especially with how close Atreus and Sindri were for Atreus to not get that forgiveness when he really hadn't done anything wrong I felt was just a little underwhelming well you know and the way I felt was I don't think his character arc's over I don't think Sindri's character arc is over that's just me though yeah I don't think so either Actually, sitting here saying all of this and thinking about it, I have a theory that we're not going to get Sindri's forgiveness. His story is mm. over because this is going to show us that our actions have consequences and it's that's not fair. always going to be a yeah, happy ending. Sindri fair. having such a tight relationship with Atreus, losing that and never getting it back will hurt almost as much as Brock's death, knowing that you fucked that up and you are... Because in real life, you can't go back. Freya may have forgiven you for what you did, but just because Freya did, that doesn't mean Sindri will. Right. And I think it would be interesting if they actually carry that, if they leave it at that and say, this is not a happy ending. These are the consequences of your actions. And look at the people it affects look at you know how their life changed that's because of you it adds a little bit more you know weight to everything that you did because the story i think had a relatively happy ending for everybody that wasn't named sindri so and let's, I feel let's, that. okay yeah good point i think i, I think it's time that. to i think it's time to talk about the ending because there's a lot to unpack here so, you end up getting back to Midgard. Asgard is completely destroyed. And Angerboda says that she wants to show you, you being Atreus and Kratos, she, has, she just has something to show you. And what you find is another one of the Jotnar shrines. And in it is everything that just happened... And it was a hidden shrine, and the reason why it was hidden was because Faye, who, by the way, we haven't talked about this yet, the inclusion of Faye into this story with a face for that name, it's it's incredible. I, I really added something else, finally having a face to put with Faye's name, because all we could do before was imagine what she looked like. So now knowing what she looks like and knowing the kind of you know the kind of being that she was really added to the story. You find out that she hid this shrine away. So that Kratos and Atreus would forge their own path and would not try to just, you know, go down the road for this prophecy or, you know, wouldn't just try to, you know, try to tw turn their fate or twist their fate. You find out that she hid it so that they could make their own path and grow on their own. And I love that. Kyle, one of the most hard-hitting lines in the game was right here because Atre Atreus tells you that, you know, he has got to go off on his own. That he wants to find the rest of the giants. He wants to see if he can bring his people back. And Kratos hits us with the ultimate feels line of Loki may go, but Atreus remains. And dude, at that point, man, if the man tears weren't already fallen, dude, the dam burst there because that just an incredibly emotionally chilling line. Yes, and for him to just say a handful of words and make us feel feel that emotion that is masterclass storytelling because had we not experienced the 2018 game and this game the way that we did that scene wouldn't have held as much weight we'd have been like oh that's cute but like we really felt that you know it's actually 
of father-son relationship. They feel like real people. And, you know, when when he said that, I was I was torn up. I was like, damn, dude, we, we really saw Atreus and Kratos become this father-son dynamic that now trusts each other enough to go off and, on their own adventures and do things. And I was, dude... 10 out of 10 right there. That's when I was like, this This is my game of the year. So, Matt, that, that would be interesting if that was the ending. That would be a really good ending. But what we soon find out is that there's a second side to the Jotnar Shrine. And that second side depicts something that's not meant for Atreus, but just for Kratos. So he opens the shrine up, and he sees his journey from Athens to Midgard... And then I think the last panel and the reaction that Kratos has to the last panel, Matt, that for me was the selling point when this became my game of the year. Yeah, the uh, the emotions that you could just tell that Kratos was feeling when he sees that last panel that depicts him in a statuesque form with people surrounding it, it harkens back to a, uh, a conversation that Odin told Kratos he was telling him you will never know what it feels like to be worshipped, to have people love you. You'll always be just this, what was it? He said exactly like... God killer. A god this killer, god yeah. Killer, this, monster, this monster, but Kratos seeing that on the shrine of him being loved, him being worshipped, him being what a god is supposed to be, it really hits home because he just thinks back, back to the original trilogy. Kratos was a monster. He killed. He did not consider anyone's feelings. He did what he did because of how the gods fucked him over and he lost his family. So everything coming full circle to that and Kratos just getting that 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 kind of redemption for everything he's done and to see that portrayed in the, um, on the shrine was fantastic. And I know that they try really hard to not like make Kratos look like he's crying, but I could tell deep inside of him that he was definitely crying internally. <laughs> I was crying on the outside, so I mean, if Same he wasn't here. crying, I Same was. Here. <laughs> I, I liked the picture. I liked the. I like how they pictured him with the Leviathan axe, but also while wearing his Spartan attire, kind of noting how the two sides have, or the two sides of his life have mixed, and he's become this guy that everyone told him he wouldn't be. And I, to me, that was a beautiful way to end the game. Awesome story. I do agree with the critiques of it's not as tightly knit as 2018's, but I would counter that with this game is on a much this game story is on a much grander scale than 2018's. 2018's game is very contained compared to this. So I think that for this being a much more open game and a much bigger game, I think that the story works 100% here, and the main thing that makes it work is that element of Faye hiding the shrine away so that Kratos and Atreus wouldn't try to fulfill some prophecy, that they instead would build their own path and walk that path. Um, So to close the episode out, let's talk about the side content, because there's a lot of that in this game as well. And Thacker, I I gotta say, and I feel like I've said this a lot to Kyle, and I'm gonna say it again now to y'all, I like 95% of the side content because I feel like there's a lot of really interesting favors here. However, the 5% I don't like, and I'm just going to say this, get your bingo cards out because I'm about to I'm about to say the classic rusty line. Boss fights and particularly difficult boss fights 
There's a reason why From Software is considered the king of creating difficult boss fights that still feel fair. Because the new Valkyrie Queen and the King of the Berserkers, you two can fuck off. <laughs> I, I absolutely hated both of those fights. I've beaten them, thank God, at this point. But, Thacker, let's let's talk about the strength of the side content. I feel like there's a lot of stuff here, and you get a lot of value for what we paid for the game. Oh, most definitely. Um, even, not even huge side pieces, but ones that you have to find such as rescuing these creatures, right? Um, the lingworms, yeah. Or the lindworms, yeah. Not even just those, but like in oh, Alpine the stags, being the yeah. giant uh, yeah. jellyfish in <laughs> the goof, the half Spartalheim. Goofos. Yeah, in Spartalheim uh, being the whale. Like getting to actually find things to do that aren't just given to you by NPCs was absolutely incredible you got so much to do um i'm not gonna lie when i first saw one of the uh the odin doors and everything <laughs> that you have to unlock rusty i remember telling you i was like they did not add the valkyries again i don't want to do this again which to an extent you're you're not you're, you're not completely that they didn't completely re-add the valkyries in they just added the worst one <laughs> yep and 15 berserkers. And 15, uh, 12, 12. 40 berserkers. <laughs> three, three, there's only three. 85 berserkers. <laughs> yeah, the side content, the side content in this game was phenomenal. I mean, there was so much to flesh out all the side characters and really give them other cutscenes that are outside of the main story like the cutscene that you get when you beat the Valkyrie Queen 2.0. I loved the interaction between her and Kratos and Freya because they didn't want to kill her. They told her, they tried to reason with her and say, this doesn't have to end this way. You know, we can we can do better. We can, you know, rebuild together. And she just says, finish it. That was another one of those, you know, it leaves you wanting that closure. Kind of like Sindri, how it's like it's not a happy ending. It's like, fuck, dude. Like, I wanted her to just say, yes, I'm going to join you. But you end up having to kill her. And, you know, I know I hate that fucking fight. But the cutscene after it was well worth it. And I, you know, almost felt sad for the Valkyrie Queen when they killed her. Because I was like, shit, dude, like... She literally lost everything, and her only, you know, reasoning for fighting us is because we just killed, you know, her family, and, you know, we just destroyed Asgard, and then she lost that. She she quite literally just lost everything, and given the choice, she chose death over living because it was that, you know, she was suffering that much. That was a really heavy moment. I'll give you another example of a heavy moment. When you free the Lingbacher in Svartalfheim, this big whale, this whale-type creature that has been turned into this island and they used its oil for lanterns for Odin, the story behind that is that Mimir was actually the one that enslaved it when he was, you know, when he was working with Odin. And Mimir believes that in freeing it and breaking the chains... That, you know, it'll, you know, be happy and then it'll go off and live. And then when you break the chains, it doesn't move. You go up to it and you kind of get this feeling that it's just used to living in chains. And I think that's the exact line that Kratos has is that, you know, it's it's grown used to living in chains, to living as a slave, essentially. 
And it's, again, you have the best intentions to try to fix something, and there's no happy ending. There's no closure. Yeah. You go back to Spartalfheim, the Lingbacher is still going to be there. It's still going to yeah. be there, and and it's never going to leave because it's just grown accustomed. There's a line in the middle of that quest that I love because of just, again, how perfectly written and how perfectly voiced it is about how, um, you know, it's. I think Mimir says something along the lines of, you know, this creature's probably spent countless winners wishing it was dead but hopefully when it's free and then Kratos cuts him off he'll goes it will still wish for death because it's lost so much of its life to slavery like that and it's just it's so hard hitting and again it just lines up with that you know it's not you don't always get a happy ending so it's it's really really interesting one other little side bit we want to talk about Thacker (laughs) Let's talk about our favorite Chime Boy because <laughs> Ratatoskr has, again, one of the best lines in the game. You know, I'll let you talk about him. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. So shout out to my employee, David, for telling me about this. I didn't even know it was a thing. Didn't even think about it. But Ratatoskr being the... Tosker, it's an O. Oh, it's an O, oh, you dummy. We're going to put you on the board if you're not careful. Give me my point. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. But no, so being one of the guardians of Idrisil, and he ends up giving you a chime that you can summon him for anytime you need to talk to him or give him some of the limb worm, um, anything like that. Some of his side missions, you can end up summoning him with this chime. Well, David one day was telling me, hey, you know, if you like hit that chime repeatedly he uh he ends up like yelling at you i'm like there's no way well over the weekend uh while rusty was in town i was like you know david told me about this do you want to see if it's true we ended up testing it this man sits there this this squirrel sits there and you're ringing it and he's like oh no it's it i'm not easily uh annoyed or anything like this and just keep going, keep going, and finally he yells at you. <laughs> and he yells at you for the funniest thing ever. And has now become my ringtone of <laughs> I'm with the stupid chimes. <laughs> it's the it's one of the funniest moments in the game, man. And it's just this little hidden thing that you wouldn't find otherwise. And it's hilarious. And it was pretty funny. Out of all of his like emotion characters, Bitters being the best. Uh, that one line just kind of beats any of his emotions. I agree. I, th- I think that I think that you look at this game from top to bottom, and I, I think it's very clear how how we all feel about this game. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of really good things that this game did. A lot of ex- there's excellent storytelling, excellent character development. The game plays deeper on every level. Um, you know, I am glad that I don't have to be in the group that decides between this and Elden Ring for Game of the Year because that's a tough choice. I will say this, and I think that we all we all need to just remember this year for this reason. I think we will look back on this year in 20 years, and we're going to say that this year we got two of the greatest games that were ever made in God of War Ragnarok and Elden Ring. Um, so... I think that's as good a spot as any to end this well over an hour-long episode at this point. So that is going to do it for us. That This has been our 
I don't want to say review because that almost feels like it, we're, I'm fucking cheating and sliding sliding us because we did a lot more than review this game. But that's been our episode for God of War Ragnarok. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SideMissionPod. You can find us on Facebook and TikTok at SideMissionPodcast as well. For the boys, for Kyle, for Matt, for Thacker, I'm Rusty. Thanks for listening. Stop with the stupid chimes.